Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, joined as always by Julian Wiggum, and we're here to preview the Oranges matchup at Louisville on Saturday at 4 o'clock. It'll be on the ACC Network. Uh, SU needs to win its last two games to qualify for a bowl this year. Uh, we're going to get into that. Um, we're going to touch on the Not Again SU movement and kind of what it's like to be a player in that situation. I get asked about that a lot. You know, what do the players think? What do the coaches think? Um, we have a former player here in Julian to ask, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to chat with Cameron Teague Robinson, a reporter for the Louisville Courier-Journal, doing a really nice job in his first year on the beat there. Uh, we're going to take some fan questions, and we're going to give our predictions. Before we jump into all of that, I need you to go subscribe if you haven't already. You can do that on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, whatever you listen to your podcasts on. And if you'd like to purchase advertising with us, please call Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. All right, Julian, let's kind of jump in here. I wanted to touch on the Not Again SU stuff first. We've seen students protesting all week after a bunch of racist and anti-Semitic graffiti has been found, uh, a couple other incidents, and it puts players in this really interesting position where I think they have a lot of visibility and people within the movement, people who have been doing the sit-in at the Barnes Center, have called for kind of their support, and we've seen players do that. We've seen Andre Sisco speak out a little bit. He had the not, not again SU hashtag written on his cleats. Um, I think the, the SU men's basketball team is wearing warm-ups tonight, um, again, with that hashtag on it to kind of show um, some support there. What can you kind of tell us to put us in the shoes of a player in that position? Like, what's it like to have this going on, right? These And this is not new. Um, this movement is new, but these kinds of incidents have been happening at Syracuse for years. Um, so how do you kind of balance – the social movement going on with the kind of nature of year-to-year scholarships and maybe working for essentially the people um, who are kind of being called out. Yeah, so uh, when you're an athlete, uh, I'll go just assume you're a college, a D1 college football player, right? Uh, naturally, your coaches try to focus you as much as they can on the game and what's going on, um, you know, that week as far as practice. And, and I, I can remember uh, back when the, uh, you know, the Hannah Strong stuff was going on or it was the Yik Yak stuff that was going on. Uh, our coaches would always say, hey, between these white lines, you know, don't worry about that stuff. Don't worry about that stuff. You know, tune it out. All right. You know, focus on what you're trying to do. But when you're uh, a student athlete and the student side is also being affected, um, I think it's free game to speak and, you know, act and and, uh, place yourself in an active position to, uh, you know, talk about these things and and bring light to it. So I commend Cisco and all these athletes, you know, wearing the hashtag because at this point it's a safety concern. You're worried – you're – they're canceling courses right now, canceling classes right now, because there's a safety concern at school about whether it's a mass shooting, whether uh, you're afraid that you'll be in danger uh, by a classmate here or there. And I can remember when the Yik Yak stuff was going on, it was really, really, really uncomfortable as a black student knowing that all of these anonymous postings are going up uh, saying how they really feel. 
and I'm I, and I'm sitting here like, you know, I might be getting a beer with somebody, and they'll smile here and there, but then make a bunch of jokes with their friends. And, and as a student, you're uncomfortable, right? And when it gets to a point where you're actually concerned about your safety as well, I think it's it's actually smart and uh, you know advantageous to these students, student athletes, to continue to bring light to this because this there needs to be some sort of action taken by the administration. There needs to be urgency uh, because you have a host of students here, whether they're on scholarship or paying that $70,000 tuition, who don't feel safe on your campus, right? So as an athlete, I think it's, it's your coach is going to say they're going to they're try to focus you on what your initial goal here is as a football player or whatever sport you're playing. Uh, but if you're a student, you're, you're a part of that school, you go there, you go to class, you're interacting with, uh, you know, your your classmates and such. And if you are fearing for your safety and it is a true and legitimate cause, uh, I see no issue with putting the hashtag on cleats, shirts, whatever it is to bring issue to, to bring light to the issue because there needs to be urgency. It needs to be seen. There needs to be a spotlight on Syracuse to deal with these issues because, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm baffled that this stuff is still happening in 2019, and um, I'm, I'm almost discouraged that there's still so much uh, publicly being displayed. And uh, for Syracuse University, I, I really think that they need to find a way to, uh, you know, get this off of campus because uh, it, it's dangerous and I'm sure it, it's unwelcome. And for these athletes, you're pushed towards ignoring it but because it's so impactful on your life and your circumstance as a student, um, I, I fully encourage and uh, stand behind these athletes uh, with the, the uh, not again SU because it's it's an important cause and uh, it, it's certainly something I stand behind. Yeah, the maturity of some of those guys, Cisco and, and Elijah Hughes, has kind of been the um, the face of the, of the ba- how the basketball team has been dealing with it. It's it's been really impressive. Those really mature guys and. Uh, yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I would encourage you all to uh, to keep reading Syracuse.com. We had Julie McMahon um, attending a meeting tonight. Uh, the Daily Orange, my alma mater, has done an excellent job, obviously covering SU day in and day out. So please keep up with that. Um, it's really important, and you know, hopefully, it leads to some real change. We will see. All right, let's uh, switch gears to football. Um, we were kind of chatting before the show about Louisville's defense. We're going to do a, talk about a lot about Louisville's offense with with Cameron Teague Robinson and the Louisville Courier Journal. Uh, but this defense is is aggressive, but basically bad. Um, you know, they are I think about a hundredth in the in the co- uh, country in yards allowed per game, um, right around there, in, in rushing yards allowed per game. Um, they're going to blitz a lot. They're going to leave their corners out on islands. And at this point in the season. Some of that depth has kind of taken a hit. Uh, sounds a lot like a couple of the defenses you were on, Julian. Um, what, <laughs> what's it like to kind of be in that position? And, you know, if you're Dino Babers and Mike Lynch, how, how do you go about attacking that? Yeah, so uh, from Louisville's perspective on a defense like that, when you're really aggressive and you want to leave corners on the outside, uh, for the big SU football fans who follow – Every game, um, I reference you back to 2014 LSU. Um, I reference you back to, uh, shoot, who ran the ball a ton? Uh, all of our Boston College games. Um, <laughs> like, it, it, 
that that's our game plan. And whenever we know that either the team, uh, those were game plans where we were like, we're going to leave our corners on islands and we're going to go after these guys. Louisville, uh, back in 2013. Uh, West Virginia, I wasn't even there. 2011. Uh, these are all games where we're telling our corners, you're going to sit on the island on the outside and we're going to try to bring as much pressure as we can because we think that we match up speed-wise better uh, up front than they do. And then we believe that you guys can hang out and work on the outside and you guys are good enough athletes. So it's empowering as a corny, like, all right, this is a money game for me. This is what the NFL does. That's what Coach Schaefer said. This is a money game. This is a money game. You're making money this week. And I'm like, all right, Coach. <laughs> but, um, you know, as a corny, you're, you're kind of getting yourself ready to go, and you're excited because you know uh, most likely the, that ball is either coming out quickly or if you're sitting back and they're giving you like a third or something, some tight third, you're thinking, okay, this ball's going to go deep, and you try to game plan for it. Um, and you can kind of almost expect what's coming. Uh, if you're Syracuse and you're this offense trying to attack a defense like that this week, uh, the key is either A, got to get the ball out fast because you're not going to be able to pick up everything, or B, you're protecting and you're trying to take some shots downfield where you can. Um, I, I hate using myself as examples, but LSU was an example. Um, I think I ended up getting a P.I., where they um, ended up throwing a deep ball and they max protected it, and on the back end, we decided we're going to play man and have a safety to help on in the middle. Of course, there was no safety in the middle. But you're like, <laughs> okay, I know what's coming, right? You're like, they don't run fades typically. They're probably going to end up running a post. And as I'm guarding my guy, I can see one of the other receivers across the field, you know, you know, cutting across. I'm like, okay, I have the deep route, but I have a safety. I'll sag off a little bit. Of course, there's no safety. P.I. Julian Williams terrible, right? So it's but the thought process there is okay. I know what we're gonna get. We'll be able to cover this down. And if you're Syracuse, there's two options. You're either a like I said, going to kick that ball out there as soon as you can, or you'll max protect and try to get the ball out deep downfield. I expect Syracuse because they don't typically max protect very often and usually run out of the spread. They'll get that ball out quickly because it fits into their offensive scheme. So you're going to hope that you're going to get man against a, a linebacker. You're going to start looking for mismatches across the board and start trying to create some. So this week, if you're watching on TV, just kind of look for Coach Babers to be the wizard here. You're kind of hoping. It's the kind of thing where you can kind of measure how great a coach he is and such, too. Is he creating mismatches up front? Are they attacking quickly? Are they getting the ball out against the blitz? Are they actually creating effective plays here and there to get downfield because that's kind of what you're watching as offense, knowing what kind of game plan is going to be in place and what kind of defense you're going to see. Um, and then once they start to play back a little bit, are they able to run the football? Can they keep Louisville off balance? Can you get them out of their game plan? Uh, these are all things that you can kind of watch and see, oh, this coach is amazing. Like that, that's kind of how you can judge a coach in their game plan and uh, see it makes kind of – measure how they're doing, and if, obviously if things aren't being executed, drop passes, fumbles, yada, yada, you can tell it's on the play. So uh, this week is a good matchup for Syracuse just because I think on the outside, I think they have talent at the receiver position. I don't think it's amazing, but I think they have the talent to take advantage of Louisville's defense. A few times I've seen them play, they're definitely vulnerable on the outside. So with the athletes that they have, Tristan Jackson, those cats, man, I, I think that Syracuse has a, a real chance this week to get the ball out and even make some big plays downfield. Yeah, a few quick thoughts from my end. I, I think Syracuse is going to try and pound the rock on early downs. And 
you know, if, if they they have not been able to convert third and longs all year, I, I would have no confidence in them changing that this week, um, especially with those pressures coming and Carlos Veterell only a sec- in his second game at center. But I do think Louisville is vulnerable in the trenches, and if they can set up those second and shorts where, where you can take play-action shots or, or you can run it if you want, you can really do anything, you can open up the playbook. I think that will help you. I, I think mixing in a screen game, which is something they've had success with earlier in the year, particularly the traditional screens with the running backs. Um, we've seen mm-hmm. some some shuffle pass stuff with the tight ends, stuff to make those players up front think for a second before they kind of pin their ears back and go. Um, that might be helpful. And a third thought is, look, Tommy DeVito and Tosh Harris have to get on the same page. And, uh, you know, we talked about this a lot after the Duke game. Um, and I, ta- I actually chatted with Tommy about it on Tuesday night. And, you know, he kind of gave a stock answer, like, you need to look at the pictures, you need to go over things together, you need to work through it. But, man, just the body language week to week is so tough. Um, you know, it's clear there's some frustration there that usually boils over more in the losses. I mean, we saw Taj storming the sidelines a couple times earlier this year. And then there was one play against Duke I saw on the rewatch where Taj had man coverage one-on-one on on the bottom, and it looks like he's running a slant and go, and DeVito floats it down the sideline, and then Taj cuts back inside. And you can see DeVito, the camera catches him yelling something to Taj, and I don't – you know, I'm, I can't read lips professionally, but come on, Taj, or you know, something like that. He points his hand downfield, like go, like go, you know. And to me, like that's not like you're reading a safe, you necessarily reading a safety. Um, I mean, that's that's just like Tommy is going off of what Taj does. So uh, those guys clearly have a lot of work to do. Louisville's secondary is vulnerable, as Cameron Teague Robinson is going to talk about a little bit in a bit, um, and certainly they will have. Their focus on Tristan Jackson. He is the one who's going to get the tougher matchup. If a, if a safety is shading one way, it's going to go to him. Um, you know, Syracuse tried to use him out of the slot against Duke. I wouldn't be surprised if they did again. Uh, and in theory, that should open things up on the outside, but you you need to be able to take advantage of that. So um, that's kind of what I'm expecting on that side of the ball and then flip things around. And I think Syracuse is going to try and pack the box. I think they have to. Louisville has been really, really good running the ball this year. Mikhail Cunningham at quarterback, I think five touchdowns, 460 yards. And Javion Hawkins at running back um, has been has been really, really good. A little bit undersized, but quick. Hits a hole and goes. Um, I think Syracuse is going to dare Cunningham to take advantage of man, uh, man-to-man matchups on the outside, which I think Louisville is going to, to try and do. Um, I, I don't think they're necessarily afraid of that. They've got a couple good playmakers in Tutu Atwell and Des Fitzpatrick. Um, so, so my question for you is this, Julian. You're fairly familiar with the SU secondary. How, how do you expect those guys to kind of respond to that? I know Trill Williams prides himself on playing press. Uh, Ifatu Melifanu and Chris Frederick, a couple of veteran guys. Chris has given up some underneath stuff this year, but has also gotten a couple interceptions sitting and waiting and playing the hands. Um, yep. What kind of challenges then? What are you expecting from that group? You know, so, I mean, this is probably one of the biggest all season long in terms of passing game and knowing what, what's going to be thrown at them this week. Uh, but I, I think this is a challenge that uh, in the preseason, I, I would have said, you know, these DBs are, are more than capable of handling. And after uh, seeing them play all season long, uh, I, I still believe so. One, Chris Frederick on the outside, everyone knows that's my guy. I supported him all the way through. Uh, one of my, you know, understudies when I was there, watching the way he's grown up, he's got, there was a crazy stat, like 41 consecutive starts 
for Chris Frederick right now at corner, at least the FBS at his position, which is a testament to the kind of consistency that he's shown at his position. And what makes him special and what makes him really capable uh, for a game like this is, yeah, we, he does give up underneath stuff, which if you're a D coordinator, secondary coach, I would much rather you give up the four, five, six-yard stops, slants, and whatever else than the 42-yard ball downfield. You know, if I can expect you to take care of the deep and intermediate and then here every so often you'll give up something underneath because you're playing off coverage and they took advantage of what you gave them, that's perfectly fine. That's how football is played these days. And you can't, you, it, as I'm sorry, fans, you can't cover everything. It's, just, it's literally impossible. Athletes are way too fast and you can't cover everything. So the fact that he's giving up, you know, some stuff down underneath, that's okay with me. And I think for his coordinators and coaches, that's fine too. He does a great job. I think he'll match up fine. Trill also as well, I think because he presses so well, I think it's a great matchup for them because he'll be, like, I'm assuming, covering the sl- eh. Is he going to be on the outside? I didn't see the depth chart. Is he going to be on the outside this week? We'll see. So he was on the outside for the first time all year. He played some field corner. But Tutu Atwell, Louisville's top receiver, plays in the slot. He's a smaller guy, so yeah. it'll be interesting. Will they put Cordy on him and continue rotating the three cornerbacks, or will they move Trill inside and play Iffy and Chris on the outside? So my expectation then would be that Trill would be on the inside at the nickel position and you put Ify on the outside again because his length is, is so advantageous to him. And the way that if he played – I go back to the UNC film all the time. That was a fantastic game by him. Uh, the way that he played press, the way he played off, I thought his technique was sound. Um, the injuries obviously got to him a bit uh, this season, but I think I'm hoping he's recovered and kind of back to – uh, as best as he can be. I'm sure it's not 100%, but who is at this point in the season, right? Yep. So um, I, I think that this is going to be a, a great matchup for the secondary just because they know they're going to have a lot of one-on-one opportunities. Um, I think that there's going to be some, some zone mixed in here and there where they'll be able to get a chance to watch the quarterback jump some passes. That was always, Those were always my favorite opportunities. And, you know, this secondary, they, they keep taking the ball away. Um, Andre Sisko lurking back there. I think that this is actually – a good matchup for Syracuse. And while, you know, later on the show we'll talk about who's going to win, I'll spoil it now. I don't think they will. I, it's just I, they won't let me pick them. But um, <laughs> I think that this is a really good matchup, you know, through and through for this secondary and against these receivers because of what kind of uh, route concepts and what kind of offense they're going to try to put at produce this week. I think that the, if these guys come to, ready to play, coming off a nice win, um, I think there's going to be plenty of opportunities out there for them to take advantage of. And if they play the kind of technique that I'm used to seeing them play, I think they'll be just fine. I'll say this. Mikael Cunningham has 14 touchdowns this year, only three interceptions. So, you know, for, forcing those negative plays, and again, in turn, by giving up some of the underneath stuff, which is one of the philosophies that they've used on defense the last few years, might be yeah. tough on Saturday. We'll see. Uh, we're going to go now to our interview with Cameron Teague Robinson of the Louisville Courier-Journal. We're joined now on the Syracuse Football Podcast with Cameron Teague Robinson of the Louisville Courier-Journal. He's done a really nice job in his first year on the beat, and we appreciate him coming on to share some insight. I wanted to jump in with this. Obviously, a, a an exceeding expectations first season for Scott Satterfield. Qualified for a, a bowl game after beating NC State last weekend. What's kind of the pulse on the team like? I mean, what does it mean for this group that was largely brought in by the previous staff to make a bowl? And... Um, what does it feel like they're kind of playing for now with two games left in the regular season? 
Yeah, um, no, they're they're obviously pretty excited. I think a lot of it has to. I think a lot of their excitement has to do with how bad last season went. Um, you mm-hmm. go two and ten. You don't win a power five. You don't beat a power five team the whole season, um, and then you're projected to finish last in the ACC. Not even just last in the division, just last in the ACC. I think you. Um, they had a lot to play for, so they're pretty excited about that win. Um, and in, ter- in terms of them playing for it now, I, they haven't won nine games since I think 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, with Lamar Jackson as quarterback, so I know they're playing for that. I know they they really want to win nine games, um, and then if they I mean, if they beat Syracuse on Saturday, they get second place in the division. So um, they still they still got a lot to play for. It's be interesting to see how they bounce back, and in, in so many words, after a very emotional win at NC State last weekend. Yeah, it's funny. Last year, Syracuse was picked by the media. Uh course the media which is largely whoever is in north carolina to vote at media day for what it's worth yeah pretty much syracuse Syracuse was picked to go last in the atlantic last year and of course they finished second and uh now this year louisville seems to be on track or potentially on track to do the same um i think you know one of the most impressive aspects of their their season so far from my seat has been the running game uh mikhail cunningham used to go by malik as you were explaining to me earlier he's he's now going by his first name rather than his middle name Uh, and javion hawkins just really seems like they've forced defenses to respect the run and that's opened up things on the outside like what's been so successful about the running game and um how has it kind of developed over the course of the season well, it's a fairly simple rushing attack. I mean, they really only have two plays. It's an inside zone and an outside zone. So it's all based on that scheme. But it's all based on, it all depends on how the offensive line blocks. I mean, they run left a lot because they can run left behind their first or second round left tackle on Mekhi Beckton. Um, Tyler Haycraft on the right side has been much better as well. Um, but for for Hawkins, it's just that he, he just has to find a hole and hit it. Um, he's been really good at that, very explosive, back, powerful even though he's small. Um, Hassan Hall, same way, who was a Syracuse recruit, same way. He's very explosive when he hits the hole. Um, Mikhail's kind of running ability kind of stems from the option game. Um, they run a lot of play action, um, and he has a lot of options on what he wants to do with the ball once he once he pulls it from either Hawkins or Hall. And his feet, I mean, he's a very explosive runner. Again, also probably more powerful than anybody expects. He doesn't slide hardly ever. Um, that's got him hurt a few times this year, but that's just kind of how they want it. Um, so with those two, it's really hard to contain them when, they, when they're both getting going in the running game. Yeah, Syracuse kind of got its first taste of a, a dual-threat quarterback last week in Duke's Quentin Harris. Mikhail's working behind a better offensive line, to say the least, so I think that's going to be a really yeah. good challenge for SU. Um, you mentioned Hassan Hall. I wanted to ask you specifically about him and then Des Fitzpatrick, two guys who Syracuse really wanted. Hassan was committed to SU, and um, Des was someone who Mike Hart was recruiting and was really close with. Uh, I think yeah. Syracuse was kind of down to the wire. Um, so I guess, you know, one at a time for those two, what's it been like to see those guys develop and how have they kind of individually fit into the team's success this year? Hassan Hall's been pretty good today, this year. He's really flown under the radar. He was hurt for a week, week or two um, against Virginia and again also against Miami, but he, he's been pretty good behind. He's the, who many thought would be the start this year, but Hassan Hall kind of took a back, I guess, took a back a role to Javion Hawkins when he kind of stepped up. But he's been great in the return game. He's probably one of the better returners in the country. Had a big return against Wake Forest for a touchdown. It kind of seems to break a big one every every game, even if it's not even even if it's not a touchdown. Um, and then Des Patrick, his targets have varied a lot this year because sometimes Louisville seems like it gets too too focused on throwing the ball to Tutu Atwell, who's their big play receiver. But Des is, I think, without a doubt, their best receiver, um, most well-rounded receiver. He's their best route runner. Has great hands. Um, he's having a career year as well. 
Um, and if he can continue to go, I think when him and Atwell are playing well, um, their passing game is really, really difficult to stop. Yeah, I think there are going to be some really good matchups on the outside. Both of those guys are obviously really good athletes, and, and Syracuse's cornerbacks pride themselves on their ability to play man. Um, a couple of guys who really like to press in, in Trill Williams and uh, Ifatu Malafonwu. How have you seen uh, Tutu and, and Dez kind of take maybe some of the, the more aggressive corners? What's maybe worked for them throughout the year, and is there anything that's kind of given those guys trouble on the outside? Well, that's actually what Louisville would want. They would want people to play man um, because they play 2-2 in the slot. So it's really hard to get, unless you're pulling a corner from the outside off, say, a bigger body like Seth Dawkins, it's really hard to press him with a really talented corner. Usually you have, like, a nickel guy there, or sometimes people, for some reason, play a linebacker on him, which never ends well. No. Um, (laughs) But um, he's legitimately probably – he's got to be one of the fastest players in the conference. Um, And when those two can – getting one-on-one one coverage and they can create separation. Like I said, Dez is the best route runner on the team. He has no problem if they're running an out or a short curl. He's going to get open most of the time. Um, and if Cunningham has time in the pocket, it's really hard to slow, to stay with Tutu at wall down the field. Um, so that's what Louisville likes. They like they want to run the ball and they want to get people on one-on-one coverage and hit their big play receivers after that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I expect Syracuse to try and stop the run first. Not that that's some... Um revelation um but the the defensive backs like to think they can be left alone on an island and uh there's gonna be good matchups that should be really fun to watch um one of the kind of key personnel issues here is, as we get closer to saturday uh is makai becton's status um what can you kind of tell us i know he got hurt i believe a couple weeks ago and then he didn't play against nc state right yeah he got hurt in the first quarter against miami i mean it might have been early in the second quarter and didn't play against nc state and they struggled a little bit on the offensive line against Wolfpack, but uh, off the line coach Wayne Lefford yesterday said he thinks Makai will play on Saturday. Um, so if that's the case, that's a pretty big hit for Louisville. I mean, he's he's a huge body, six seven, three seventy, can move. He I mean, he throws people around like they're children. Um, so <laughs> he's he he's a he's a he's a monster over there on the left side. That'd be a big get for them back. Yeah, that'll be a really fun matchup. Um, Syracuse's two defensive ends, Alton Robinson and Kendall Coleman, both like to think you know they're they're going to have a chance to play at the next level. Alton's had some projections, uh, you know, toward maybe being a day two guy. Uh, so that's that's about as good as challenges get, you know, this side of the of the conference. Um, yeah. And then last thing, you know, it seems like a lot of Louisville's success has been based around the offense. Uh, I'm curious if you can kind of just give us a rundown of what to expect on defense. Where has that unit kind of struggled this year, and, and what has, if there's been growth throughout the season, where have you seen them kind of get better? Yeah, they struggled early at forcing turnovers. Um, that's it. They, not, they didn't get an interception until the Boston College game, which is in, in October. Um, but since then, they've really found a way. They're very opportunistic defense. They're not a defense that's going to come out and force you to renounce all the time unless you're just really poor on offense. Um, so they, they're going to try to capitalize on mistakes. Now, I know Tommy DeVito doesn't throw a lot of interceptions. Um, so that, that'll, that'll be an interesting thing to watch. Their secondary isn't great, so they blitz a lot because they don't have a lot of time on the back end, um, which I know Syracuse gives up a ton of sacks. So I think that'll be also be something to watch as well. But their defense has been up and down. They had a great game against Virginia, had a bye week, had an awful game against Miami, then had a fairly good game against NC State, although their offense is in shambles at the moment, I think. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um so Syracuse has certainly struggled to protect Tommy DeVito. The offensive line uh, has looked better the last two weeks, especially at Duke. They made a switch. 
Um, but picking up pressure has been an issue all year. I think Clemson put a lot of things on tape, and, and certainly Brent Venables, he's good at that. <laughs> but other teams have picked up on some of the overload stuff. Like what's worked pressure-wise, their players, or um, you know, certain aspect of the way they've that Louisville's tried to blitz this year that you think has been effective? They just sent numbers at you. I mean, early in the season they were getting pressure with three or four. Um, but they don't have a lot of depth, so I think guys are starting to get a little bit tired and a little worn down. So now they're starting to set numbers. They'll send, I mean, they'll come out and send three, three or four on one third down plane. If you convert on a next third down, they might send six. They might send seven. It's Brian Brown has really, uh, really disguised his blitzes pretty well. Um, so that'd be the thing. How many does he send, and when does he send it? He doesn't. He's very aggressive. He doesn't care what he sends it um, because Louisville secondary isn't the greatest. Um, but depending on the, the the guys out there, he he'll need to send pressure to kind of make up for some of the time that his corners might give up. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be fun to watch too. I think Syracuse's center Carlos Vettorello is uh, just gonna be making his second start. He just switched in from left tackle uh, last week against Duke. Um, all right, Cameron. Hey, thanks so much for joining the show. Really great insight, and uh, hope you enjoy the rest of the season and um, covering a bowl game this winter. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks again, Cameron. Really appreciate his time. We'll hop over to Twitter questions. Doc Vernald, do you guys believe the lack of attaining a quality recruit at QB is due to the lack of a quality QB coach on staff? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I think th- I think the lack of quarterback development here is a result of not having a quality QB coach on staff. See Eric Dungy, who basically said, I need to fix my, my entire mechanics after he left yeah. as a four-year starter. See, I mean, Tommy DeVito has had a tough year, but I think he could really use having a guy who has played quarterback there, a guy who knows the ins and outs of his mechanics. Um, you know, how, how he – you know, tries to fix some of the stuff that happened this year and try and become comfortable again in the offseason will be an intriguing storyline. But, no, you know, I think the things that have hurt them were, one, early on, getting Tommy, right? Only one quarterback can play. Um, so the year after that and maybe even the second year made it really tough. And even that that first year after, they weren't pushing hard for a quarterback. They ended up, I believe, with Chance that year, Chance Amy. Mm-hmm. Um who has since transferred, uh, and then even last year they were kind of slow getting around to it, right, because once it wasn't until Chance transferred, I believe in January, that they decided, oh, we need to take a look, and, and they brought David Summers in, and they have Drew Gunther, a walk-on quarterback. So I, I think having Tommy here hurt early, um, but but frankly, I think they've just gotten beat for their targets. Um, you know, I, I think it's the same reasons other players don't want to come here. Uh, I think relative – you know, to his other positions, Dino has recruited quarterback and wide receiver somewhat well, but you know, even with a dome, they just haven't been able to put together an, an enticing enough package. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke chose Miami over Syracuse earlier this year. Uh, obviously, he hasn't signed yet, but um, no wavering there from what I've seen. And Christian Valu uh, reclassified, so Syracuse is kind of in a position now where they're. They looked at um, Cade Foran, a North Carolina transfer who, who could be here in January. He has not really said much since his visit, I believe, during the bye week. Um, they've kind of got Brett Nezad, a, a quarterback from Alabama, on hold. A high school guy who they've told is one of their top targets, but they haven't offered him yet. Um, so, you know, I think it's just it's just kind of the state of the program and not so much an indictment on the lack of a quality quarterback coach. But... I mean, it certainly couldn't hurt, although I do think Dino is 
you know, I think Dino can make that sell with his offensive background. Uh, Nemo, nobody. <laughs> what can Syracuse do to get DeVito and Harris on the same page? Um, you know, we touched on that. Second part of the question, something isn't clicking between DeVito and the other wide receivers outside of Jackson. Riley has been mostly quiet, too. You know, I it's really hard to say. Like, I, I, I certainly see see that argument, but I also think lack of opportunity has kind of changed the way people are viewing um you know, kind of Tommy, and because there haven't been so many plays and because the offensive line hasn't been great, like, consider this. He has a 62.9% completion rate. So, that's pretty good. He hasn't thrown an interception in 145 passes. I think a lot of it is really a volume issue. I, I do agree there have been problems getting on the same page with Harris first and foremost, but with also Sean Riley, Nikeem Johnson. Um, Tommy has been far from perfect, but I think the offensive line is really what's crippled that passing game. And to a lesser extent, this is what Dino Babers has pointed to in the past, is during fall camp, a lot of those guys miss time with injuries. So, um, you know, those reps hurt not having them. Christian Leogrand, matchup to watch versus Louisville. Sounds like it's going to be dueling offenses. Uh, You have a a particular aspect of the game that you think is going to be important, Julian? Um. I think it's uh, personally. I think it's gonna be a deep ball this week. Um, I think I've referenced that in the past against teams, but it's really because I know Louisville presses up so often, and the way that Syracuse pushes the ball downfield—not that they do it all the time, but because they take advantage when they can—I think that we can expect a few deep balls downfield. Uh, Tristan Jackson, maybe Taj Harris, but I do know Louisville is going to attempt it as well. And if, and that's the thing, is it could be an offensive explosion. We're doing all. I don't believe that, but. It could be if those balls are constantly com- completed. But if not, and that's shut down, I think this game slows down tremendously. It becomes a trench war uh, where both teams start to run their rush, where their philosophy and their goal is to run the football, uh, get the ball out quickly, stay underneath. And that's where things start to slow down and stay within tight. But I do expect both teams to come out and try to take some shots when they can just because of the defense that's going to be played this week, especially with teams trying to play up. Uh, knowing that they're going to be blitzing and trying to come after quarterbacks. Yeah, it'll really be interesting to see. I think a lot of that's going to be dependent on how capable each team is of running the ball early. Uh, Oh, our buddy Sam Rogers coming in with a question. Judging by the BC game, it seemed the inevitable outcome of this season had been accepted. That's fair. Duke was a completely different story. We both know how hard it, it would be slash is to derail the loser mentality of a locker room. Did Syracuse football achieve it midseason? Is it sustainable? I, I, you know, it's tough when narratives kind of form this way, one or one way or the other. Um, you know, when does a team quote unquote quit? Uh, oftentimes, I think it's during games, not over the course of yeah. of the end of a season. But I will say this: Dino Babers and Mike Lynch said it also on, I believe, a Monday. Uh, radio spot with ESPN Syracuse, like they believe practice has been good throughout the year. So maybe it it never maybe that BC game, and I think at the end of the Maryland game earlier in the year, which is just kind of within that moment, maybe there were points where defeat was kind of accepted. And uh, I think certainly in the BC game, and part of that's just the physical toll those guys took mm-hmm. trying to trying to tackle David Bailey and AJ Dillon. But um, yeah, I. I you know, I don't know if, if it fully spread within the locker room. I think if they lost that Duke game and bowl eligibility is gone and, and you're 3-7, and seven, then I think you might see that. 
Um, I don't know. Do you kind of what's kind of your take on that, Julian? Do you think they ever really got fully stuck in that loser mentality, or was it maybe more like the the I don't know, like the shock of the early season failures was almost kept them away from being able to do that. I, I don't know. It's really a weird season in that sense. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think it's more of a frustration from early on, like what happened. I, I truly believe the Maryland game was like a, you know, what the heck kind of moment because the defensive game plan wasn't there. Uh, the expectations were so high. You were coming off of a, you know, pretty average game uh, earlier in the year. So uh, I, I think these guys were one, that one Maryland game, I think that was the moment where they were uh, frustrated. And that frustration started to pile on with losses. And you were right, Stephen. Typically, teams quit in the game. It's not you don't quit on Tuesday or Wednesday. That that doesn't usually happen unless you're already out of it. That's when you would have seen. Like if they had lost against Duke, I could see them quitting. You know, Tuesday, Wednesday. Like, all right, I'll book my flight home. I'm checked out. I'm going to go through the most. Because I've seen that before. Uh, as soon as you're out of bowl contention and nothing to play for, that's when guys start booking their tickets. That's when guys stop running hard on Tuesday and Wednesday. But at this point in the year, I think the win was important. I think guys are still engaged, but I think for the most part this year, uh, it was more so frustration and a lot of uh, issues, whether it was injuries on defense, the offensive line problems. I think it was a lot of frustration and guys just not being on the same page rather than actually quitting. I think I don't think that ever actually happened, except maybe BC, like you said, because of the physicality. But um, I think early on in the season was just – uh, frustration at not being able to figure out what's going on uh, up front and on defense with injuries. And then the win, I think, motivated this team. Uh, I expect them to come out uh, ready to play uh, come Saturday. Yeah, I'm kind of in, in the same boat with you there. I mean, is it sustainable? I, I think as long as the Louisville game stays you know, relatively close. Yep. Uh, there yep. is a version of that game where Louisville's really good athletes – you know, find creases and, and, and take advantage of mistakes, and they score a ton of points, and Syracuse's offensive line struggles with pressure, and Carlos Vitarello in there at center. Like, there is a version of that game where it, it could go pretty badly. It's not how I think it's going to play out, but to me that's the only way where it doesn't really sustain. Um, I think yeah. they're going to fight in that game. And then you got senior night in the Dome, especially if you beat Louisville. Obviously they'll be engaged, but even if not, um, you know, it's their last chance to play. So I think – to an extent, there'll, there'll be some some fire there, even if it's just to enjoy the moment. Uh, last question and a very a very good transition from Kyle Nabwanyik. I'm sure that's not even close to how you pronounce it. Uh, is this the week you guys finally pick Hughes to win? It is not. I, I, I thought about it. I did think about it. I really did. Like I like I believe the defense is engaged. I believe they're capable of making big plays. But Louisville's got some really good athletes. And with Makai Becton playing, like, that's – if he wasn't there, I would have thought, you know, maybe you can get some more pressure on Cunningham. Maybe you can force him into some bad decisions. I just don't know. I think Louisville's going to be able to run the ball. Syracuse has not really stopped a good running team all year. Um, and, and, look, if, if you're going to have to commit uh, to walking Evan Foster down in the box every play, which you did a lot against Duke, a, a not-so-good running mm-hmm. team – uh, I don't know, to, to trust all those guys on the outside to consistently not give up the big play, it's going to be tough, especially if you can't get pressure. So um, so I couldn't quite do it. I picked uh, Louisville 35, Syracuse 34. I think they're going to find some plays. I do think Syracuse will be able to run the ball, honestly. Uh, Louisville's rush defense has not been good. Um, 
you know, I think the offensive line got a lot of confidence. Dakota Davis played really well. I think Aaron Service at left tackle f- fixes a lot of the pro- – at least some of the protection issues. And um, I think he's a real weapon when, when they run that double pull power. He had a couple really nice blocks for Jarvion Howard toward the end of the game. So maybe they'll run it right side a little bit more um, against Louisville. What do you think, Julian? Uh, you know what? I want to pick Syracuse, but they won't let me, as I said <laughs> earlier in the show. They won't let me pick them because, one, they haven't shown enough of an offense to rely on. I don't think they have a comeback body, a bone in their body right now. Uh, at this point, and it pains me because I want to pick Syracuse. I want to see them win the game. I want to be able to say, hey, this is why they're going to win, and then boom. But unfortunately, because of what they put together all year long outside of Duke, um, I can't pick this team yet because I'm not sure what they're going to give me. Maybe it's like Duke, but it's more likely, based on the evidence, they're probably like the rest of the season. So I'm going to take Louisville this week. Uh, 31-27, I think it's a closer game. I think both teams uh, find their way into the end zone a few times. A couple drives still out in the red zone. But I think Louisville uh, ends up holding on to win this game. Yeah, it is funny you mentioned not having a comeback bone in their body. We haven't really seen the offense need to score at the end of the game to, to come out. I mean, NC State kind of. Um, but it'll be interesting to see – if uh, if Tommy DeVito is kind of put in that position, and um, you know, and what that group can do, it's been a tough year, and it, if they have that that opportunity, it's I think it's something that could carry through into the off season because you know I think they need all the confidence they can get. Uh, and right. nine of ten games for uh, nine of ten games for Syracuse, whoever scores first wins the game. So uh, get something to keep an eye out for. Yeah, maybe Syracuse wants to receive if they win the coin toss this week. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Alright, thanks everybody for listening uh, If you haven't subscribed to us, please go do that iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you listen to your podcasts on And if you'd like to purchase advertising Please call Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069 We'll be back to break down the Louisville game 